Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho. H to the OV. I used to move snowflakes by the OZ. I guess even back then you can call me CEO of the ROC. Ho. Fresh out the frying pan into the fire. I be the music biz number one supplier. Flyer than a piece of paper bearing my name. Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right, ho. Not DOC, but similar to them letters. No one could do it better. I check cheddar like a food inspector. My homie Strick told me, dude, finish your breakfast. So that's what I'm What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast here on this Football Friday, November the 10th, the year 2023. Good to be with you. Nice to be on here on this Football Friday here in early November as we embark on the second half of the NFL season with only a handful of weeks left to go in the college football season as well, and we're about a month away, less than that, from uh, your conference championship games in college football. Uh, And the college basketball season also began uh, earlier this week, which we will delve into as as we get deeper into the winter, or excuse me, deeper into the fall and enter the winter. We'll be uh, on top of all the machinations on a consistent show-in, show-out basis with college basketball and the NFL. Uh, Our buddy, Timothy Russo, um, our buddy Timothy Russo had his coaching debut at University, excuse me, at Northern Arizona University up at Stores, Connecticut, kind of like a... uh, a, uh, a you know a scenario for him where he goes back uh you know we see the player that wins the championship they leave and then go to sign with the team that plays them you know first or first two games whatever it is you know of the next season that's what it was for Timmy he uh gets the job in Northern Arizona and who's their first game against the defending national champions so he goes there gets his ring takes uh you know takes uh pleasure and pride in seeing the banner getting unveiled he gets to see and hug hurley and a lot of the other uh and a lot of the other uh his former compatriots at uh at yukon and and it provides an element of closure for him in that uh in that uh first chapter of his uh, coaching career, of his coaching life. But we'll get to the basketball on a more consistent basis the deeper we get into the month of November as we enter into December. But it is that foot, but it is that time of year in terms of football. I got lots to discuss. We're at the midway point of the NFL season. I got four items that I want to uh, address in terms of some midseason takeaways through the first nine weeks. Um, I also, as my my father gave me an Apple Watch earlier today, and it's picking up on everything that I'm. It thinks I'm talking to Siri, and so thus it's picking up on everything that I'm saying. Anyway, I shall digress. Uh, but lots of things I want to discuss in terms of the National Football League through the first half of the season. Uh, of course, Week Ten preview. I did my damnedest to try to find four marquee games to sink our teeth into for this weekend. After you have some great games in Week Nine, Week Ten, oh boy, a little rough. And uh, next week is going to get it's going to get worse because the Sunday slate, uh, the Sunday slate, Sunday night included for next week, Week Eleven, is garbage. But as ironic as it sounds, the really marquee games and the must-watch can't miss it under any circumstances. You know, football games for Week 11 next week are on the weekday, and they begin and end Week 11. 
of course, Bengals Ravens a week from uh, yesterday on Thursday night up at, or excuse me, down at the bank here in the four one Oh, and then you have uh chiefs and chiefs and Eagles on Monday night football rematch of the super bowl at Arrowhead. So you have two sensational football games in week 11 and, but the meat and potatoes of your week 11 during the act, during the act, during Sunday, you know, from one o'clock in the afternoon till eight twenty at night, it's going it's trash Vikings and Broncos on Sunday night football. No, thank you. Who wants to watch Zach Wilson play in the Buffalo bills? Somehow it's the way I've become one of the more boring offenses to watch in the national football league. I mean, that's the one best, the quote unquote big game that you have on uh, November 19th on that Sunday in week 11, but you have a great Thursday night game for a change and a sensational Monday night football game, November, November 20th, which is, which is just going to be, I mean, you, you want to, that could be uh, the, uh, the long awaited uh, sequel to uh, Rams and uh, Rams and um, Rams and Chiefs, and ironically enough, in the NFL, I've noticed within the last few years they've gone out of their way sometimes to kind of give you a good matchup, if not a great matchup, on Monday Night Football to to whet the appetite for football coming up on Thursday and knowing that it's a short week, everybody's going to be uh, and Thanksgiving because I because there's five. Thursdays this month, the fourth Thanksgiving of the month will be here. No, wait, I have that read wrong. Is it today is the ninth? So so it's a week from it's a week from the thirteenth. The twentieth is that game. Yes, yeah, so it's the week of Thanksgiving. And back to my point, yeah, Thanksgiving. Believe it or not, it's coming right down the turnpike. We're only with we're only in the first full week of the month of November, and all of a sudden you look and Thanksgiving's two weeks away. But they've done a they've done a solid job at giving us fans a solid Monday night football game at times. Great Monday night football game to kick off that short work week and holiday and holiday week with Thanksgiving, uh, one, two, three days away. But I'd be totally into, uh, obviously that game. And then, uh, and then of course the Bengals game a week from, uh, a week from Thursday the ninth, but where we shall begin and, and I also want to touch on the Giants because I didn't have an opportunity to discuss them and their loss to the Raiders on Sunday afternoon. I give I give you my two cents on the Giants. Did Jets didn't have an opportunity or the time I should say to talk Giants football? But let me first begin with Major League Baseball. And we discussed baseball in our episode on Tuesday with uh, Craig Council and then of course uh, Carlos Mendoza getting hired by the Mets to be Buck to be uh, Buck Showalter's uh, successor. But let us begin with the New York. Let us begin with the New York Yankees and the fact that I mean. You can make the argument that the wor- that the worst week that the New York Yankees had throughout this entire 2022 reg or excuse me 2023 regular season was er- was this week, a week where it has been a full month and change since the Yankees last played a baseball game. They had a week from hell. Because Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner, Cashman, who was still employed, why I have no idea. Hal Steinbrenner, who's lost, clueless, I mean, and everything and everything in between. 
met the media. I guess it was the the uh, the uh, the GM the not the baseball winter meetings, but the GM meetings where all the GMs I guess get together and basically set the uh, set set the foundation of what they expect and deals they could possibly make with each other um, before the winter meetings come around in December. But you want to talk about putting your foot in your mouth? I mean, the the Cashman especially couldn't have put his foot in his mouth more without saying anything non-baseball related offensive. He would, I mean, within the elements of him running the New York Yankees, he was offensive, but I've never seen somebody have vomit of the mouth so badly and, you know, have, while having a press conference meeting with the media that didn't say anything derogatory bigoted, racist, sexist, or anything. Like, I, I've, n- I've never seen that. Like, he was as, I mean, you, I, it, it, it was something that I have seen, prob- I know I've probably seen it before with a couple of, uh, with GMs whose names escape me, but in recent, but it's been a hot minute since I've seen something, anything like this. Especially from a, especially from a man that's been working with the New York Yankees for the last twenty five years, and it's the Yankees, not the, not the Oakland A's. I mean, this stuff I'd expect, you know, from uh, from the A's, from the Orioles, i.e., John Angelos. Uh, you know, that, that this is I I have never, ever in all of my years seen. I haven't seen Jerry Jones do this with with the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, I have never. Ever seen this? Not 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 with Palenka or Magic Johnson when he uh, ran the Lakers for a good little bit, about uh, four or five years ago. Didn't even didn't see it with him. But my goodness gracious! First off, how Steinbrenner? I start with him because he's the owner. He's he signs the paychecks. He's the man in charge. He inherited the team from his father. Let me begin with him first. First of all, Hal Steinbrenner has, for him to basically, when he met with the media via Zoom call earlier this week, to say, among other things, and punch up the reasons why the Yankees weren't a good baseball team last year, outside of, obviously, injuries was because they need to bunt more, and their solutions to being a better baseball team and a better offensive team, which was completely anemic this season. For him to sit up and say, well, they need to bunt more. I mean... Does does how Steinbrenner actually watch the games? Does how Steinbrenner watch the games? Does he watch the games? Does he take a look at the roster? You know, just on a every now and again basis, he just he just looks at the twenty six. He looks at the starting lineup before every game. Did does he sit? At uh at, at the spring training stadium, which bears his father's name, down in Tampa, does he sit in the bleachers behind the third base dugout and 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 watch a practice, watch a workout, watch batting practice? Does he sit and meet with Boone and the coaching staff when it comes time for them to orchestrate the twenty six man roster at the end of spring training? Does he? Because for him to sit up and say that the Yankees' offensive problems can essentially, and I'm paraphrasing, essentially be solved by bunning, 
you want to talk about not paying attention and not having a clue what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, how? The, the answer for your team is bunting. Now, are they... Now, would bunting help them in on-base percentage? Yes, it would. Would it help in their OPS, which was ranked 26th worst in the sport? Yes, it would. But I don't know if Hal Steinbrenner knows this, but he has one of the more stiff, anti- or non-agile rosters in Major League Baseball. He don't. He's got players on the team that are, I say it all the time, that are built like football players. They're built like football players, which in a sport like baseball where you play every day, 162, you're playing, if you want to include spring training, you're playing from February through September. And if you make the playoffs, you're playing from February to October, which is a which is eight months every day, three hours now more or less two forty five, give or take, cross country travel, double headers on some occasions because of bad weather, and they got a, and they have a roster with a bunch of football players. Aaron Judge does not look like a baseball player. It looks like he should be a power forward or not even a power. He should be a center or a small forward in the NBA. Giancarlo Stanton is built like is built like a tight end. Or 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 an edge rusher. Anthony Rizzo's built like a built like a tight end built like a tight end his damn self. Josh Donaldson, when he was on the team, built like a linebacker. You get the picture? And if we learned anything, anything in this 2023 season when they in, when they implemented pitch clocks uh, and they gave more of an advantage to base runners with the, with the two throwovers per batter, for you know, for pickoff moves, if we learned anything throughout this 2023 season, is that you need players on your team that are athletic. In a sport like baseball, which is more of a is which has more to do in terms of being able to hit a baseball, has more to do with your hand-eye coordination, your quick wrists, and having a good eye for the baseball, and perfecting the skill at in the short amount of time a ball moving as fast as 101 miles an hour moving 60 feet six inches and you have a split second to decide whether you're going to swing the bat or take it for a ball or a potential take and strike that sport it's it's not only wrong there's there's physicality involved in it if you want to hit 30 some home runs a year it's best that you hit the weight room you want more power and more exit velocity on your on, on the ball one after you know with your swings you want to make sure that you got a strong core and 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 good and a good uh strong lower body so i i get it like any other sport there's there is a element and there's an element to 
being physically strong or physically dominant in a certain area of your body in order for you to be the very best you can be. I, I get that. But the basic elementary element of knowing how to hit a baseball is more skill than it is athletic ability. Or being or being built like, you know, like like an Olympian. Like built being look, you know, built like a UFC fighter or a boxer. Because don't get me wrong, being built like Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge is nice, it's fine and dandy. You look good in your clothes and you're walking out street side, you know, New York City, you know, in, uh, in, in Times Square. You're kicking it in Brooklyn at Nets games. You're getting, you're getting stopped by various amounts of women at Madison Square Garden watching the Knicks. You, you look intimidating, you put on your hoodie, you go to the Jets and the Giants game. You look good while you're, you know, in, in the still shots with you working out with, with with your sleeveless or your tightly fitted dry fit shirts. You look good in the mirror when you're posing in front of your girl or in front of yourself in the mirror. It's all fine and dandy. But if we've learned anything with the Yankees is that that's nice if you're posing for, you know, the cover of Sports Illustrated. Or you're campaigning to be People Magazine's sexiest man alive. But being built and being that jacked and yoked like that, like the majority of these players on this team are, does you no good for for a six-month season. Where you're doing baseball activity as early as early early mid-February. You go from early mid-February... Through April and May, when it's chilly, in June, July, August, when it's scorching hot, high humidity. I mean, the Yankees play on the East Coast. They have humid summers in Boston, New York City, uh, God knows, in Florida, uh, down in, uh, now nah, I understand they play indoors, but, but it's still Florida and obviously here in Baltimore. And what happens? High humidity, prone to cramping, prone to muscles getting tight. If you're not hydrating and, and taking in your potassium and things along those things along that nature. And one of the beauties of knowing how to bunt and being a good bunter is that you're agile. You can go, you know, especially if you're a tall player, you can go from your batting stance and then dropping down basically into a into a semi-crouch, you know, at at the drop of a hat for for a surprise bunt. Or you or you get down in a bunting position and then you say, Oh, I got this is a ball, gotta take it. Boom. You can you can immediately go go from holding your Bet holding your holding your bet like a toothbrush, and then go boom, and then quickly raise it up to take a strike. Working your legs, your quads, your hamstrings, all that, and then not to mention when you do bunt, when you bunt and you make contact, you go from crouching to standing up straight. 
and typically you're hauling ass on your way down to first base. And the Yankees, we'd be here all night talking about how piss poor base runners they are. We'd be here all day. And that's part of the art of bunting is being somewhat a good base runner. What are you going to do? Send Aaron Judge or, Zin- or Giancarlo Stanton, who, when they're on their game and they're healthy, can hit 40, 50 home runs a year? You're going to send them up to the plate to start bunting now? Really? All right, Anthony Volpe. Okay, fine. Whatever. You're going to send those guys, you're going to, those guys included, going to bunt. I got something for you, Hal Steinbrenner. Did you know that your Yankee squad this season, this year in 2023, they were, they hit 225 as a team. That's second worst in baseball. They also were second worst in hits. The only team, the the, the Oakland A's had more hits than the Yankees did. Or either they had more hits or the Yankees. Or the Yankees were the only team, or the or I, they were third. They were 29th in hits, with 1,122. Second to last in the league. They were 26th in OPS, 25th in RBIs, 26th in runs, eighth in home runs, which you would expect. All those boppers on the team. I mean, shit. They they bet they better be in the top ten in home runs. Yeah, the only team that had less hits than the Yankees this year were the Oakland A's with one thousand one hundred eighty-seven. Yankees had twelve oh seven hits. The only team worse than the Yankees were the Oakland A's. The hapless, anemic. Pathetic, soon-to-be-moving Oakland A's. They were last in doubles. Last in at-bats. 27th in stolen bases. And Hal Steinbrenner, whether he knew that or not, he should know it because he's the boss and it's his team, gets up and tells the New York media and tells the Yankee fan, that has been at their wits end with Hal since, what, June? When he told Michael Kay, well, I don't know why the fans are so upset. Yeah, Hal, this is the reason why. Because the team on the field performs like crap. You're not smart with your money. You give guys like Donaldson and Hicks and... Who's who? Who's the other? Gary Sanchez. You you given you give the bums the big time contracts. Joey Gallo, your trade fan. You give the bums the contracts, and you let the superstars, the Juan Sotos, the Bryce Harpers, the Manny Machados, the Shohei Otani's. You you don't get them to be a Yankee. Furthermore. Outside of Aaron Judge, you can't name me not one, not one Yankees position player that they have developed 
from draft night all the way up into the major league level, and they've been a consistent, positive contribution to the New York Yankees winning baseball games. You can't, you can't find me one. You can't find me one. Donaldson, Hicks came from other teams. Gary Sanchez flamed out. They traded for Glaber Torres. Anthony Rizzo's a Cub. Stanton is a Marlin. Find find me the player. I'll wait. What, Volpe, who can barely hit his weight? Not not now, not yet at least. And for how to sit up there in front of the New York masses and say, we need a bunt. Would bunting help? Yeah. I mean, it's it's great if your offense isn't stuck in twenty isn't stuck in uh twenty thirteen and it's so damn one dimensional where it's boom or bust, they hit the home run or they don't score any runs at all. That would be nice. But the way your roster is constructed, that's not the that's not the that's 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 not the method, that's not the answer for fixing your offensive woes. That's like uh that's like me going to a doctor and being like, yeah, hey doc, I need uh I got I you know, doc, I got I got a I got a brain tumor. I got a lump on my head. You know, I, 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 you know, I don't want this to, to be to become a a fatal thing. I got a brain tumor. Until it gets to a point where you can, you know, cut it out of me, cut it off. What's the best method for me to for me to treat this tumor? What's the best method to me to me treating? I don't know, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. And your doctor turns to you and says. Well, I think it's it, it would help if you you know if you if you uh, didn't yell at the, didn't yell at the TV during during games. If you did, if you didn't yell as much, you'd be like, okay, but I'm talking about how do you expect me to treat this thing at the source? What's that? That's yeah, fine and dandy, but what is that going to do now? Because the ailment that I have is already here. What the hell is me not doing it going to do? What What the hell is me not yelling, not fussing, not getting my stress levels up? How's that going to cure what 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 ailment is is trying to is trying to do damage to me right here, right now? That's what Hal did. That's what he did. And he sat up on Michael K's show and said, well, I don't know why the fans are so upset. Really? Your your team had the highest payroll in the American League. And you have no idea why. You had one of the highest payrolls in the American League. You went 82 and 80. You guys lost 80 games. Finished only two games above 500. Missed the playoffs and was looking up at everybody in the AL East, looking up at the Blue Jays, the the Blue Jays, the Rays, and the Orioles. All three teams that historically you better franchises than 
you have you have a higher payroll than, make more money than, or a bigger brand than, and yet all three of those teams have passed you by in terms of being a a, a productive championship contending baseball, a, a championship contending baseball operation. The Blue Jays, despite their postseason shortcomings, like we discussed last month, the Rays and the Orioles have all passed you by. You know good and damn well. It's November night. The baseball season's been over for about a week plus. You know good and damn well. The like the the likelier uh, uh, the, the there's a better likelihood of the Rays, Blue Jays, and Orioles being in the World Series next season than the New York Yankees. You don't, you don't have to look at the roster. You don't have to look at any impending free agents. You just know. And Yankee fans, they hate to admit it. It hurts their ego because they're Yankee fans and they ha- kind of and they have that sense of entitlement comes with the territory. But they know it. Like 99% of the fan base know it. Either they know it and they're not afraid to say it because they know it's fact, or they begrudgingly know it and they like they want to keep it on a hush hush because they're ashamed of it because they look because they look da- they look down upon the Orioles, the Blue Jays, the Rays, the other, those other three teams in the division not named the Boston Red Sox. They look down on them, but they but they know that that that, that they've passed them by. That's what annoys them. That's what frustrates them. Like, hey, we're not supposed to be getting our asses kicked by teams like the Rays and the Orioles that got a payroll under $80 million. Getting our asses kicked by Toronto. And Hal says, well, I don't know why the fan base is so upset. How? Get a clue. But then you think, and you say to yourself, you're a Yankee fan, well, you know, and it's only Hal. He's the owner. Not his father. Not as passionate. Doesn't know much about baseball from what we can gather. Not a diehard passionate Yankee fan like his father was and what made him so great because he could relate to us regular Yankee fans. Whether you whether you were white collar, blue collar, you know, you're working on Wall Street or you're scrubbing toilets. You love George Steinbrenner because he was you. He was a fan. He was a he was a fan, and the only difference between George Steinbrenner and you, the Yankee fan, was that he just had billions of dollars in his bank account, and he was in charge of the Yankee franchise. But like everybody else, he was a fan. He wanted and you, and really since since the summertime, you've seen that tape of him getting interviewed on 60 Minutes in the 80s where he says, you know, if I if you want show me uh show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. And he and, you know and saying among other things, you know, I've put my foot through TVs in my time, getting pissed off and and getting annoyed and frustrated at the Yankee at the Yankee teams on the field like the regular fans. He got it. As much as I can't stand the Yankees, George Steinbrenner got it. He wasn't perfect. He had his flaws. But in terms of being 
the boss of a professional sports organization where the, where the end goal is to win championships, he got it. And he was able to tie what how producing a winning product on the field can lead to making money and all of the financial benefits off the field that comes with owning and running a professional sports team. And we see it all the time in sports now. Owners that put the cart before the horse and they're like, well, how come my franchise isn't doing any isn't isn't doing any good? How come nobody's coming to the games? People hate me this and third. Yeah, because it's 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 simple common sense. If you put a productive product on the field that's winning championships, the more money you're gonna make. How you think you're gonna make more money with a losing product than you are a winning one? You see it with, with, with these owners all the time, especially in baseball. You see it all the time. They think, well, I'm an owner of a team. I'll, I'll make money, you know, regardless. No, 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 you won't. The reason why the Yankees can sell the prices that they have at Yankee Stadium is because of the, is because of the decades and the generations where they were the cream of the crop in Major League Baseball. They played in the World Series every single year. Played in the ALCS, won division titles, clinched playoff appearances. That's why. Because they won. And historically, they're winners. George got that. His son doesn't. Which is a shame. And why he and Cashman all of a sudden have like this weird thing where they're talking you know where they are slick where they're slickly talking down and bashing George when he can't defend himself which is even more pathetic I have absolutely no idea but be that as it may you see it you hate it you move on but then for Brian Cashman the GM who's past his, who's well past his expiration date. Well past his expiration date. A coach that is blessed to still have, or a coach, a GM who is blessed to have his job still at, as the GM of the New York Yankees, putting together the flawed and playoff incompetent rosters on a year-on-year basis that can never, ever, 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 ever get past the Houston Astros when it matters in the postseason. And if it's not the Houston Astros they fall victim to, it's the Boston Red Sox in October, who should have been fired years ago, should have been fired after getting swept in 22, should have been fired after losing in the wildcard game against the Red Sox in 21, should have gotten fired after 2020 when he botched the ALDS against Tampa and San Diego in the COVID year. Should have gotten canned years ago and still has his job. Yankee fans say all the time 
tongue-in-cheek, he's got a job for life. Well, shit, after the season that the Yankees had for him to still have his job, I guess he does have a job for life. Because I understand how you can watch the New York Yankees product from March to September, technically October 1st, and say to yourself, yeah, the man that constructed this horse shit roster deserves to still be employed. We only went 82-80 and and finished in fourth place in the AL East and got our asses thoroughly kicked by the likes of the Rays and the Orioles in the regular season, who had a payroll combined of, what, $160, 70000000 million? If that, 19 games out of first place. They missed the playoffs by seven games. And for him to still have his job, And for him to have his job and be in a position where he can sit up in front of the media at a stand-up press conference and feel questions about the 2024 New York Yankees, is, 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 it's a joke. It's a, it's a hilarious he-he-ha-ha ha, funny joke and amusing joke to people like me and others who detest the New York Yankees but it's an offensive joke, in air quotes, joke to the diehard Yankee fan who, as spoiled as they are and have been, in the, at the, at the, in the same breath, they deserve better than this. I understand they're cocky, they're arrogant, they think they're entitled to other, to other teams' players. I get it. The 27 rings thing... They come into Oriole Park and Camden Yards to take over the damn stadium, and then they act like, how dare you cheer for the home team when you're coming, when they came into the home team's territory? I get it. It annoys the piss out of me, too. But as a, but simply as a, as a diehard fan that gives their time, energy, and money and their emotional energy towards a team that they hold near and dear to their heart, just like the diehard ones, not the bandwagon jerk-offs I talk about and make fun of all the time, the diehard ones that that love their team 160 through, th- through the spring, summer, and early fall, like I do with my Orioles, like Cup fans do, like Angel fans do, like Dodger fans do, like Reds fans do, like uh, like Tiger fans do, those guys. They, they they do deserve better than this because the Yankees right now are are, are, are being ran like they're a second-class organization. I mean, you would expect this crap from the Oakland A's, the, you know, the, the Milwaukee Brewers, the Kansas City Roy- These are the Yankees. And they're the biggest comedy act in all of Major League Baseball. And one of the biggest, most embarrassing comedy acts in all the professional sports. Because you are literally watching a team, a a storied franchise, and an empire run itself into the ground. Though that day, two days, where Cashman and and Steinbrenner met the media, it was almost as if they 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 you know had a button somewhere and clicked self-destruct. And everything with the Yankees franchise just came crumbling down on themselves. 
But for Cashman to sit up, smug, arrogant, defensive, vindictive, with the sunglasses on, for him to sit up there and say with a straight face that the New York Yankees, and I quote, are pretty fucking good is an embarrassment. It is a pathetic disgrace. And if it was my baseball team, I'd have fought, I'd have walked, I'd have found where Brian Cashman was, walked over to him and fired his ass on the spot in front of all the TV cameras. Because for him to be as tone deaf, as clueless, as lost as he was, it, it's amazing that even after all of that, he still has his job. Let alone the debacle that was this 2023 Yankee season and the 22 and the 21 and the 20 seasons that preluded it. For him to still have his job after that innate, after that erroneous bull drive he spewed the other day. It, it's a miracle that he's still employed now. Your team outside of the home run category were in the basement in terms of team ranks in Major League Baseball. You finished only two games above 500. You finished in fourth place. You were out of, you were out of the division race by the 4th of July holiday. You missed the playoffs by seven games. And a season after, you got punched in the mouth by the Houston Astros losing to them in a four-game sweep, which was the series that came after you lost a wild-card game on the road to your hated rival Boston Red Sox that has owned you since the 3-0 blown lead 19 years ago in 4 Not to mention 2020, losing to the Rays. And you sit up there with the temerity, the audacity, the chutzpah, and the unmitigated gall to say, yeah, we're pretty good. Pretty good? Cashman, based on what are you pretty good? Pretty good my ass, pretty good. I watched like 85, 90% of the Yankee games this year including the ones when they played my team. I was like, pretty good. This team stinks. They strike out 90,000 times. They're a boomer bust. Either hit the ball out of the ballpark or don't get any hits at all. They work piss poor at bats. They don't drive in runs. They can't hit with runs to scoring position. It's either home run, single, or strikeout. That's it. They don't hit doubles. They don't hit triples. They don't steal bases. They, they And when they do, they can't steal bases properly. They can't run the bases worth a damn. They're piss poor fundamentally. They're a mess. Pretty good, my ass, pretty good. But when you get to operate. Under my umbrella, umbrella, hey, 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 hey. You know? You can be as deluded and as lost and as arrogant and as smug as Cashman and spew that and spew that bull jive. Clueless. 
They got a clueless manager who still, for some reason, remains employed. And let me get this straight. So we keep, we're going to keep booing around, and we're keeping it around, and we're counting on the fact that he is going to be tougher on our players. He's going to be, he's going to unveil a little bit more of, of, of a nastier side of him. Because that'll work. Those of you that have had either a laxed boss or a laxed parent growing up or a laxed grandparent, and all of a sudden they one day just flipped the switch and all of a sudden they found somewhere inside of asshole mode and they flipped the switch and they turned on asshole mode and you saw them conduct themselves as someone that they're not? Did you did you have a easy did you have a easier enough of a time taking them seriously? Could you could you take them seriously? Could you respect them? Could you take their sharp tongue, harsh tone, firm, fair attitude with you or anybody else? Could you take it? Seriously, when you know good and well what that person is because you got receipts, you have a memory, it's going to be the same thing. Either two things will happen. He'll get walked on completely by every single player in that locker room. They won't respect them. If they, as if some of them probably don't already, but they won't respect them. And not out of a don't respect them in terms of they don't respect his authority, but they look at him more as a, not, 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 not the buddy, not, not the overtly friendly buddy, buddy parent who's liked by their child, but not respected. And there is a difference. Not that sort of not respected. I mean, not respected as in, they will grow to detest Aaron Boone because let him, while he's feeling himself going through his fake phase, let him buck up and say something to the wrong player and see if he don't end up, end up, you know, like one of them damn soft pretzels they sell at the kiosk, at the, at the concession stand. Let, let 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 him get big and bad with Judge or Stanton and see if they don't go Chris Davis on, on, on his ass. Let him let him break bad. They'll grow to they'll grow to resent him because they know that all of it is just a front and him just being fake to, you know. As, 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 you know, looking at it as, as a last-ditch effort to get his bosses off his ass. And they'll see right through it and, and look at him, you know, like a pushover. Ah, boom, he's just, just talking, just bumping his gums, pay him no mind. How you doing? Keep it moving. Just on, you know, don't pay him no mind. Like like an like an like an annoying like an annoying little fruit fly. There's you know buzz around. Just you know swat it away. Keep it moving. Ain't no monkey stop no show. That's what it's going to be. So Boone's got to get tougher. 
He's 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 uh, he he essentially has to go from, you know, a, a, a pushover to Nick Saban overnight. Boone's got to get tougher and and meaner. The Yankees got to bunt more, and the Yankees are a good baseball team. Oh my lord, this team! I mean, if I, if I had a self destruction. Uh, soundbite thing, I'd play it. But my goodness gracious, is this team going downhill and fast. You love to see if you're an Oriole fan, but objectively speaking, this this is just shameful. I mean, I'm sitting up here watching Cashman's press conference and I'm getting secondhand embarrassment for him. He gets into back and forth with Joe Sherman, very defensive. He seems with a cocky, smug attitude, you know, like he knows it all. Dance, you know, just spewing out, you know, Brian Cashman, Yankee propaganda, spewing falsehoods and lies and half-truths, being disingenuous. What a mess, an absolute mess. Mm-mm-mm. You can't make this shit up. You can't make this shit up. You can't. You really can't. By the way, and I got another baseball beef, and then it's all football the rest of the show. Can somebody explain to me how in the hell Kyle Bradish wasn't a American League Cy Young finalist? Can somebody explain that to me? How Kevin Gosman, who ironically is a former Oriole, how he was he how he was an, an American League Cy Young finalist over Kyle Bradish. The now I understand now I don't pay this stat any attention. The sabermetrical analytical garbage stat I don't pay it any attention, but the voters do. The war, and if you want to go by the aforementioned asinine stat. Bradish has a 4.9 war compared to Gosman's 3.4. He pitched in one one more game than Bradish did. He threw for 185 innings compared to Bradish's 168, which in the year of 2023 where pitchers don't throw 220 innings anymore, I mean what it's it's a shame that it's that that's the way it is, but that's not Kyle Bradish's fault. Also, you have to keep in mind, if you, and especially in this day and age of Major League Baseball, if you're a starting pitcher and your bullpen is pretty damn good, you're not going to pitch as deep in the games because the manager, in this case Brandon Hyde, knows that he has a strong bullpen to fall back on. So, especially with the especially with these young pitchers that are just getting their sea legs underneath them in their young major league careers. Kevin Gosman has been around the block for a decade plus, and the Toronto Blue Jays bullpen wasn't very good as we learned, or uh, as we learned in the Twin Series a month ago. But Kyle Bradish won more games, twelve and seven, to Gosman's twelve and nine, where they won the same equal. He had a better winning percentage, I should say. He had a better ERA, 2.83, than Gosman's 3.16. They both they played the same amount of teams. Uh, obviously, now with the balanced schedule, they, they all played everybody. But 
they played each other. They match up against each other in the East. So it wasn't like that, you know, God, you know, that, uh, that Bradish went up against East competition and Gosman went up against competition, that of the American League Central. They played everybody, including each other within the AL East. And he had a better ERA plus 146 to 134. Yes, Gosman struck out 237. Bradish only struck out 186. But he walked less batters and his walk rate percentage 6.6% 6, compared to Gosman 7.2%. So Bradish has – now, I don't count this stat. If it's me, I'd just look – I'd look at ERA and win-loss – and then go from there. But they want to count war as a stat that should, that should hold some merit to it. Well, if it does, Bradish's war is damn near double of what Gosman's is. Better winning percentage. If you want to uh, patch that up to the fact that he played, or excuse me, he pitched for a team that won 100 games and won more games than the Toronto Blue Jays did, but I mean, come on. Better ER, better, better winning percentage, better ERA, walked less batters. His percentile in terms of his walk rate was down. It was less than Gossman's. And for those of you that are into the war stat, his war was almost double. Kevin, I'm, and I'm not even saying that Bradish should have should win, but him not at least it, at, in the slightest be a finalist, and having Kevin Gosman finish above him, qualify more than him just to be a finalist, I got a problem with that. Again, uh, is 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 Kyle Bradish, Jim Palmer? No, but. He had a hell of a season. Sub, he was the by far the best starting pitcher on the roster for the Orioles this season. Better war. Again, if you care about that, then Gosman. Walked less batters. Walk rate was better. ERA was better. Winning percentage is better. And if you want to throw the ER, if you want to throw the win-loss record out the window. Well, ERA has to count for something. If if there's two stats I know that that gets that that had that's weighted more than any of the other stats in baseball today in terms of evaluating great pitchers, it's ERA and it's WAR. And he was better than Gosman in both categories. What? I mean, Gosman pitched in he pitched he pitched a little bit more innings, but seasoned veteran who's been in the league you know, for over a decade compared to a guy that's just getting his feet wet who, and Hyde isn't trying to, you know, put them on the time, put them under the Tommy John knife. If they, if they, if they don't have to, they need pitching depth enough as it is for the, in their rotation. But Gosman made one more start. Than Bradish did, and he pitched more innings. Big whoop because he's a veteran, and Kyle is a young whippersnapper that's fairly young to, and new to the major leagues. But he pitched in the same division, went up against the exact same competition, and Bradish was better than Gosman.
Am I saying that he should have won the whole enchilada with the Cy Young? No. What I am saying is that he deserved to be a finalist over Gosman. And I hear time and time again, it was one of the primary arguments, you know, the primary arguments that I hear all the time, especially when they talk about Shohei's greatness. His war, his ERA is, 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 is this, and his war is, is, and his war is that in Angel games when he pitches. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like to me that the war was pretty damn high for Bradish and that the Orioles' chances of winning games that Bradish pitched went up compared to games where, you know, Kyle Gibson or Jack Flaherty pitched. Just saying. He he got he got jobbed. Completely. He got jobbed. Should he should he should have been a Cy Young candidate and or excuse me, a Cy Young finalist over Gosman to a point where it shouldn't even been been up for debate or up to or up for any argument. He had a better year than Bradish did. Not even, or excuse me, a better. Bradish had a better year than Gosman did. Not even close. Not even close. One less, one less start, but still, he he had a better year. And if anything, the fact that it was the and the fact that Bradish had one less start and pitched less innings. I mean, it, it's that's got to count for something. I, I'm sorry, but you, you can't just. Say uh, the hell with it. He, you know, he doesn't need at least get a, get nods to be a finalist. Again, I'm not saying that you have to give him the award, but for him to not be a finalist, I mean that 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 that's laughable. When all I ever hear about and all that matters that I hear when it comes to the evaluation process for these great pitchers is WAR and ERA. That's all I hear. WAR, ERA, ERA plus the advanced stats, all that. And Bradish has Gosman beat in damn near every single category in, in, that, in that sequence. He has him beat. Every single one you look at. And for good measure, he's got a better winning percentage than he does. He had a better winning percentage this season than he does. So argue, argue with somebody else, I don't want to hear it. I do not want to hear it. He got jobbed. Got jobbed. We switch gears to the National Football League and the New York Giants, man. What a mess of a football team they are. That that they, they they are just an absolute hot mess. I mean, from Joe Shane from, forget Joe Shane. If, first of all, it begins with John Mara, the owner, the owner that was sold a bill of goods, uh, that was sold a bill of goods by Dave Gettleman, that hack that, among other people, single-handedly ruined the Giants and set them back, uh, and set them back um, years, if not a decade plus. So it begins with him. And I say it all the time, and I bring it up because it still pisses me off. Uh, it's that 
yeah, just the smug, the smug, better than you, arrogant attitude. I just, I, 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 I uh, can't take, especially from, from, from people that are in charge that are that are running things. You know, I'll never forget, and I, it'll never escape my memory bank when he says, oh, "I, I think we need, I think we need, we need to cut down on the taunting." You know, the taunting. There's a man that employed Odell Beckham Jr., Odell Beckham Jr. for years. Yet all of a sudden, he feels the need to essentially play Detective Elliot Stabler with the NFL and their quote-unquote taunting epidemic that that ensued a few years ago. If you guys remember that. And he should be more wrapped up on putting together a halfway decent football team that isn't boring, offensive, and unwatchable to the masses. His own giant fans, uh, his paying customers, and us regular football fans that aren't they don't root for the Giants, but watch them when they get subjected to us and shoved down our throat on Thursday night, Monday night, and Sunday night football. And in this week's case, the four twenty five game. But I understand, by the way, that the NFC has a weak, you know, has is is top heavy and it's weak unless you're the Lions. The Lions, the 49ers, the Eagles, or the Cowboys, those four teams, you know, and maybe the Seahawks being the fifth. Why, you know, the NFC ain't worth watching, but damn. I mean, they they sent their number one crew, Olsen, and uh, they had a good game a few weeks ago, Lions and Ravens, and they had a great game last week with uh, with Cowboys and Eagles. But, jeez, I mean, they get, I mean, it's bad enough. I think they're going to get uh, Packers and Lions on Thanksgiving Day. For once, it'll be us laughing at the Packers on in Detroit on Thanksgiving and not the Lions. It'll be a different change of pace this year. But, jeez, they they put that the game of the week, the Giants, and they, the, the, knowing how much and how badly the Cowboys beat the piss out of inferior opponents, especially at home, that, that game is going to be over – that game is going to be over midway through the second quarter. I mean, Dak Prescott is going to come out beginning of the third quarter in street clothes. But that that is an awful, unwatchable football game. But we got to be subjected to him on a on pretty much you know the in prime time a good portion of the season, especially here in the front end when they were on Thursday night against San Francisco, Sunday night week one against the Cowboys. We saw them get the get the brakes beaten off of them. We saw Seattle beat the brakes off of them for crying out loud in early October. So, I mean, it, 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 it's enough with the New York Giants, and they're not a good football team. They ran poorly. It starts with Mara, number one. He was the one that hired Gettleman the Stooge that screwed up this roster who you know and who and who employs GMs plural that cannot for anything fix their disgusting putrid collection of turnstiles that is their offensive line he didn't stop prohibit or talk Joe Shane out of giving Daniel Jones a contract extension which i mean one good season, and we and we're going to give Daniel Jones a contract extent. Really, when he was the byproduct of Saquon Barkley being healthy and having a great season for a change, and the fact that they won a lot of games, you know, nip and tuck, won a lot of one score games, and played garbage football teams on their schedule. Okay, he went on the road and beat Kirk Cousins in a playoff game. Big whoop. Do we? And listen. I've become slowly become a fan of Kirk Cousins, and I obviously wish him nothing but the best with his Achilles injury. And at the same time, you know he's a hell of a guy, and and he's 
throughout the last few seasons, he's put together better seasons, better regular seasons than he's had substandard or average at best regular seasons earlier in his career. Well, let's call it like we see it. Everybody knows that when we talk about the best uh, playoff quarterbacks in the National Football League right here, right now, Kirk Cousins' name ain't anywhere near close in the conversation. All due respect to Kirk, good quarterback, he's improved his game. But everybody knows when the chips are on the table come postseason time, Kirk Cousins, he'll win your playoff game here and there, but he ain't going to take you to no Super Bowl let alone the NFC Championship game. He's just not. He is what he is. And after and after that, and he did outplay Kirk in the game, but one playoff win and one season that wasn't bad, they, they, they open up the checkbook for him. Why? Why? One season? And it's not like that Daniel Jones is, you know, C.J. Stroud, uh, Trevor Lawrence, Burrow, Herbert even. He's an average at best slightly, slightly above average quarterback at best. And everybody knows in the year 2023, average at best quarterbacks do not win you Super Bowls. They don't win you Super Bowls, and in this day and age, they damn sure don't get you to Super Bowls, let alone conference championship games, unless your name is Jimmy G or Brock Purdy and you play for the San Francisco 49ers. Outside of that, it does not happen in this day and age. And what do the Giants do? They game a contract anyway. They game a contract anyway. Lo and behold, this season, unfortunately, torn ACL, gone for the rest of the season. As if prior to his injury, we didn't already know that his contract is was a waste. Now we just get con- further confirmation with, with this unfortunate injury that it was indeed a waste. One year in, and it's a waste. And they still got, what, a year, two years, until they're able to, to wiggle their way out of it? Just dumb, and they and they know good and damn well that they were gonna that they were in the like this time last year they knew. They knew, the smart ones, the alert ones that weren't drinking a Daniel Jones Kool Aid knew, this guy is not the long term answer. At best, he's a stopgap guy. He is to the Giants what Baker Mayfield is for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's not your franchise quarterback that's going to take you to the next level. That's going to be a Burrow, a Mahomes, a Trevor Lawrence, a Josh Allen, a Lamar Jackson to your franchise. He isn't. Never has been. Never will be. They gave him the contract anyway, and it's come back to bite him squarely in the ass. And I brought it up earlier in the season when they were getting their asses kicked by Seattle, San Francisco, Dallas. I said it then, I say it again. Do you outright blame Daniel Jones for the Giants being bad this season? No. But his contract plays a huge part in the reason why the Giants are so bad. 
plays a significant part. Maybe not Daniel Jones himself, but the impact on his contract's impact on the team's salary cap certainly plays a significant role because they could have taken that what? How much money is he making? What, $45 million a year? They could have taken the money that Daniel Jones is making this year, which is $36 million. No, it's $40 million a year. They could have taken his $40 million that he's making this season and could have spent it on offensive linemen, skill position players, bolstering up their defense. They could have taken the $40 million wrapped up in a 160 that they gave him last offseason and could have spent it on a bevy of different positions. Hell, everybody knows that you can't draft an offensive line worth a damn in the last decade. You might as well go the route that, say, a lot of my Cincinnati Bengals have gone in and buy yourself an offensive line. If you can't draft one and develop one, sign one, buy one. Do they do that? No. They got one of the worst skill position collection of skill players in the league. What, Darren Wallace, some big-time NFL tight end, wide receiver? Hell no. Okay, how you going to get me high at Tennessee? He's one player and he's a rookie. Do they take that money and go get, you know, a, 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 I mean, I understand. I heard Ramblings, I mean, bring an Odell Beckham Jr. back. I mean, good Lord, jeez. Do you get, uh, do you get DeAndre Hopkins? Do you sign Julio Jones off the street? Do you, Do you do anything? Do anything. Maybe make a trade with Baltimore and see if they're whirling the part ways with Bateman. I don't know. Something. Anything. Give me a tight end. A collection of wide receivers worth something. A solid running back not named Saquon Barkley. Any of that. Build their defense. Build up their... Anything. Their pass rush. Corners. Do they go out there in free agency and get Von Bell and Jesse Bates? No. Do they go out there and, and, and sign Hayden Hurst? No. They give Daniel Jones 160 four years. And they wonder why they're in the predicament that they're in. Like the issues that exist with New York's American League baseball team and the Yankees, same exists with their National Football Conference team and the Giants. Not drafting properly and not spending money properly. And I should have brought this up in my Yankee rant, but it applies here. You can sit up here and say to the cows come home, Ah, uh, the Yankees spend money, large payroll, blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, the, the nice payroll and spending money is all fine and dandy. But, and Commanders fans can tell you this, 
Did the Washington then Redskins spend money under Dan Snyder? Yeah. But what good is spending money if you're not spending it wisely on the on the act on the applicable talent available? The talent that best fits your football team. The better talent amongst the collection of free agents out there. What's the point of spending money if you're going to spend it foolishly? You could have had Hayden Hurst. You chose not. You got Darren Waller. Solid tight end. Good blocking tight end. Could have had him. You chose not. And and the Giants haven't had a tight end worth anything since Shockey. Back in the day. They're a mess. And then they go in and then they go into Vegas. They go into Vegas and they just fired Josh McDaniels with their former player. That was a part of that 07 Giants defense and Antonio Pierce sitting on the other sideline and he outcoaches Brian Dayball, who I heard in the last 12 months thereabouts that he essentially is the next Vince Lombardi waiting to happen. And he gets outcoached in circles by Antonio Pierce. And Antonio Pierce a team that he won a Super Bowl for, took his former team and embarrassed them in Vegas and mopped the floor with them. With Dayball, the, the ragamuffin players on the Giants, Daniel Jones, Tommy DeVito included, what mopped the floor with them and won 30-6. to six. That's the largest win immediately following a midseason firing since 2015. When Dan Campbell, remember that name? took the Dolphins, took over for the Dolphins, and led the team to a 28-point win. Team's a mess. Jones is now gone for the year. Inexplicably, even after the debacle in the Jets game, where they didn't trust Tommy DeVito to throw a pass, yet he was on the roster, primed to be able to put into a game at any moment, at any time. Didn't have him practice with the first team with when Daniel Jones was inactive in the Jets game. And with Tyrod Taylor being shelved for a while and him being now the number two quarterback behind Daniel Jones. Do they do they let him take practice steps with the ones even after the debacle in the Jets game where he literally was not allowed to throw the ball past the line of scrimmage? Do they let him take a practice step with the number ones? Nope. No, they do not. Incompetence. Incompetence. Garbage roster. Daniel Jones should never been extended. They're still paying for the Gettleman tenure. Dable's overrated. And John Mara doesn't have a freaking clue. He let the debacle go on with Beckham. Never took a stand until it was too late. The whole fracas with e- with the benching of Eli Manning with McAdoo and then throwing in Geno Smith. Didn't get in front of that either. 
more worried about inconsequential things that don't cost a, 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 a cell of skin off his ass, such as taunting, more wrapped up in that instead of putting together a football team to be proud of that has sniffed the playoffs all but twice since this 2011 Super Bowl season. What a joke the football giants are. A complete and utter from the t- and like I say it all the time, I say it again. Everything rises and falls on leadership. And yet again, the New York football giants are among the laughing stock in the National Football League. And they have nobody to blame but themselves. Mara for hiring Gettleman and allowing Gettleman to wreck as much havoc as he did with throughout the giant organization throughout his tenure there. Not putting a stop to Shane for being so trigger happy to sign Daniel Jones to a freaking $40 million a year for four-year contract extension with Daniel Jones. The garbage offensive line. Just awful. Awful, awful, awful. They're boring. They're uninspiring. They have no heart, no guts, no fire, nothing. Just just a pathetic, feeble lapdog is what they are. They are the doormat of not just the NFC East, not just the NFC, but the entire National Football League. It's disgraceful. Downright disgraceful. Now, we are at the halfway point of the 2023 NFL season. And some, and there's a few things I want to get off my chest as we're at the halfway point. Uh, I give you teams I think that can make and win a Super Bowl. Teams that I think can make the playoffs but won't win the Super Bowl if they make it. Football teams that need to revamp themselves if they, or excuse me, playoff teams that need to revamp themselves in order to win the Super Bowl. And one last point on just the overall state of the union of the 23 season. First off, the teams obviously that can make and win the Super Bowl are this Eagles, 49ers, Lions, Chiefs, Ravens, and Bengals. Those are the teams. Lions, Chiefs, 49ers, Bengals, Ravens. That's it. Eagles, best record in the NFC right now. Still have the one loss. 49ers have the three losses, but they've made it to back to but they've been to back to back NFC championship games. And it is common knowledge that as soon as they get themselves healthy, uh and Debo and every Debo and and uh, and um, the left tackle's name, Trent Williams, comes back. You know, though, and and Brock Purdy having essentially two weeks to digest. You know, the 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 three straight losses to Cleveland, Minnesota, and us with this big game against Jacksonville forthcoming that they have to get on a plane and travel towards, which which will be about an approximately a five hour plane plane ride. So so he'll have even extra time to prepare. And to uh, and to sit back and reflect and uh, and to do some soul searching, 
so, so you know that that the 49ers, I believe that they will be now with it with it shot now granted they were a wild card team in 2021 and they made it all the way to the NFC championship game if they did it two years ago what makes you think they can't do it again uh and they won't be a wild card team but they but listen and for a week they were at they were out of first place but they're going to win a division most likely are going to be the three seed until proven otherwise until further notice and if that means that they have that they gotta go on the road twice to win, to, you know, to get back to the Super Bowl, they'll have the one home game. But I mean, listen, with the 49ers, man, anything is possible. You can never count them out. The Detroit Lions are there uh, because this season they're having a tremendous season. They have the third, they have the second best record in the NFC. They only have two losses. Um, only have two losses, one in-conference loss. They've been perfect in the division thus far. Jared Goff is having a is having a damn good season. Gibbs had a tremendous game against the Raiders a few uh, about a week or so ago. One of the best offenses, smooth offenses, and one of the best play callers in Ben Johnson in the National Football League. And a and a defense that can that, that can make plays. If you don't believe me, go ask the uh, go ask the Kansas City Chiefs. Go ask uh, go ask the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They 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 can make some plays. They got a they got a good a, not a great defense, but a but a solid one that can get the job done. Detroit Lions third best record in the conference. Uh, I take or excuse me, second best record in the conference. Obviously, NFC team number three. Uh, and and those are the three teams in the NFC. The Dallas Cow the Dallas Cowboys. Uh uh-uh, uh, they can't win a big game, especially on the road, whether it's against Philadelphia or San Francisco, and they cannot make it to a Super Bowl having to play three road playoff games and having to beat San Francisco, Philadelphia, and possibly andor the Lions in that raucous environment at Ford Field in order to do it. I now I understand that to their that that it does play into the Cowboys' hands because they are a better team indoors and on uh, field turf than they are outside on grass. But but the Lions, you know, could end up very well having the two seeded and could possibly even still one seed if it's you know still on the table with Philly having some tough games uh, on their on the horizon, beginning with. Uh, Beginning with the Kansas City Chiefs in Week Eleven on the road on that Monday night, but you know I can't do the Cowboys, the Seahawks. Uh, uh-uh, uh, not they're, they're they're good, but not good enough. And Geno Smith can't take him and win him a Super Bowl. I, I'm I'm convinced of that. He's regressed this season, and he's turning over the football, holding on to the ball too long, taking too many sacks, not getting the ball into his playmakers fast enough and on a consistent. Uh, bases that you'd like um but so he so the Seahawks know obviously the winner of the south has the winner of the south has no chance uh and the teams like the Minnesota Vikings could make the playoffs but if they make it they're not going to go to the Super Bowl a their roster's not isn't as great as compared to the other teams they're going to have to go on the road for one and Josh Dobbs will be a great story I would be floored if he ended up taking the Minnesota Vikings to the Super Bowl. Absolutely floored. And that would mean that a few things for Minnesota would have to go their way. You know, uh, the Eagles, the Eagles, the the one and two seeds getting knocked out in the opening round. A lot of things would have to break the Vikings. You know, they'd have to basically be put in a situation where 
they have for NFC Championship game against the Lions, a divisional game, and then you know it's third time, third go around, and it's any you know, and it's anybody, and it's anybody's game. That that'd be a long shot. Uh, the chances of it happening is a, certainly a long shot, but they are they could they absolutely have a chance to make the playoffs, but they are not. And Vikings fans know this. Their chances of uh, winning the uh, NFC and hoisting the George Hallis Trophy en route to Las Vegas, Nevada, they're, they're not exactly uh, high chances. Uh, they're not they're not exactly high chances for the Minnesota Vikings of 2023. But in terms of the other teams that can make and win the Super Bowl, those are your three NFC teams: uh, the 49ers, Eagles, and Lions. The three teams. There's only six. The three in the NFC, three in the AFC, three in the AFC goes like this: Chiefs, Ravens, Bengals. That's it. Chiefs because they've been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. They and the Ra- they uh, they and the Ravens are tied for the for the best record in the AFC, uh, and they have Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, which is the ultimate wild card. And their defense, albeit their offense is anemic and uh, and and feeble at very different times, but they but they have the but quite possibly is is going to go down as the best defense that Patrick Mahomes has ever had in his uh in his fairly young NFL career. The Baltimore Ravens like I said tie for Kansas City second best record in the in the American Football Conference. They play in a tougher division, which is a plus because it shows you that the Ravens, you know, are more battle-tested within Kansas City because they know how to play because they play in on a consistent basis and they come out more times than not on the other side of those grind them out uh, inter-divisional or intra-divisional games on the other side. I mean, the Chiefs are going up against the Raiders who can't get out of their own way, the Broncos who stink, and the Chargers who are coached by Brandon Staley. And the Ravens have to go up against Cincinnati twice a year, Cleveland with that tremendous defense and a good running game Granted, when Nick Chubb is is uh, is on the field, which unfortunately he isn't for the remainder of the season, and the games against Pittsburgh that the Ravens play are always nip and tuck on a consistent year in year out basis, dating back 15, 16 years since Harbaugh and uh, and Tomlin man the sidelines, Tomlin first in 07 and Harbaugh in 08, and it's been that way ever since. So, which also bodes well for the Ravens as well. They have just as good of a defense as Kansas City. I think better, to be quite honest. To be quite honest with you, more well-rounded in terms of a defense stopping the run, getting after the quarterback, good pass defense, all that, all those sorts of things. And they have better offense, better offensive weapons, if you can believe that, than than Kansas City. You obviously would take, you know, Odell, albeit past his prime, uh, Rashad, uh, Rashad Bateman, and uh, and. Um, Zay Flowers over the receivers that the Kansas City Chiefs have to the likes of Mark West, Vada, Scantling, among others. They got a better run game than Kansas City does, which is also a which is also a a, a tremendous positive. And listen, they they are in a and they are in a situation where they could edge out Kansas City for the best record in the Amer in the AFC. And it would put pressure on Kansas City to come to Baltimore for a potential second round or most likely AFC championship game. And you would you would have to favor the Ravens to win that game if they were ever in a situation where they would host the AFC championship game against Kansas City. Which, if that were to be the case, would be Mahomes' first AFC playoff game of his career.
Now, granted, Lamar Jackson is 0-2 in home playoff games, but uh, they they it, un- unless anything unforeseen happens between now and this time in January, I would favor the Ravens against Kansas City, or, or really against any team in the AFC that matter in a home in a home playoff game on the road. Different story, but at home. I like them over anybody, objectively speaking. You know, uh, blinders and uh, and uh, team fandom aside. And lastly, the Cincinnati Bengals, for a similar reason, um, for reasons of both why the Ravens and the Chiefs are on the list. Bengals, like the Ravens, playing a gauntlet of a division for all the reasons, play all the teams of the ones that just uh, for the ones that just gave you, which means, i.e., more battle tested. Again, Chiefs playing garbage, and the Ravens and Bengals are beating each other's heads up against the wall. You know, for you know, for four months playing playing against the the the, the most intimidating and fear and and and. Uh, and the most intimidating and dominant defenses in the National Football League, where it's always nip and tuck, uh, you know, one possession games that you know more times than not end up in defensive slugfest. While Kansas City's playing, while Kansas City's playing trash, which amounts, which amounts for, which amounts for something, because the Bengals, you know, the the, the more grind them out, uh, nip it and tuck. Uh, the, Mentally and emotionally draining football games you play throughout the regular season, you get to January, especially if it's on the road and nothing phases you, like we've learned from Cincinnati the last two, the the previous two Januaries. But uh, so that and the Ravens, they're one and the same in that department. And like Kansas City, they've been there despite the fact that they're only two games over 500 and, and currently sitting as with the seventh best record with the seventh seed and the third and final wild card spot in the American League playoffs. They've been there, done that, and got and got the T-shirt literally from their Super Bowl trip and AFC Championship in 2021. Like San Francisco, they've played in back-to-back AFC Championship games, and with Joe Burrow, man, there's there's nothing that's impossible for that football team. So the Bengals are the sixth, third AFC team, sixteen that can, that I believe at the halfway season point can make and win the Super Bowl. Can make can make win the Super Bowl. Three in the AFC, three in the NFC. Two out of the North in the AFC, one out of the West, obviously, and then one in each division. The teams that are currently in first place in the NFC East, North, and West, with nobody in the AFC or NFC South in the uh, in the in the uh, conversation. Nobody in the NFC in the AFC East either. Uh, on that flip side as well, the teams that I believe can make the pl- that can and most likely will make the playoffs, but won't win a Super Bowl: Cleveland, Pittsburgh, uh, and Jacksonville. The three teams in the AFC. Jacksonville because their offense has not been overwhelmingly great this season, even throughout their four-game win streak. Their offense is is does not blow you away. That's the first thing. Second thing is you fear that if they have another lapse, you know, another lapse performance where they fall asleep at the wheel and get their teeth kicked in, a la the first half of the wild card game against the Chargers, you know, odds are they're not going to be going up, going up against Brandon Staley in that game. So, and listen, blowouts are the quickest way for you to get you for are the quickest way for your season to go up in smoke. So, I and so I'm not sure. 
Uh, so that they are would be the I mean, I could listen to I could listen to them being the being the seventh team and the fourth AFC team to, to make a Super Bowl run. But I don't know. I, I get I, I got to see more throughout the back half of this season. I, I, I got I got to see more. I got to see more. But uh, in Pittsburgh and Cleveland, they got good defenses. They got playmakers on defense that can take over a football game. You know, Miles Garrett for Cleveland and T.J. Watt on Pittsburgh. But I say it all the time. I say it again. To make the playoffs, you need an offense. To win in the playoffs, you need a defense. And for the competition that 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 their fellow competition in the AFC, the Steelers cannot. I mean, they're getting outscored by thirty points and being outgained up the yin yang in terms of yards per game, and yet they're somehow five and three. That that's that's not a recipe to make Super Bowls, let alone win them. It's just it's just it's all it's all it's all there is to it. Even if they do make the playoffs and maybe win a playoff game, there's not a chance in hell you're going to see Pittsburgh and Vegas. The the Matt Canada, their offensive coordinator, is still up to no good. Still a, a fairly young, inexperienced team that's rebuilding in certain in certain uh, aspects of their football team. They they could they could it wouldn't shock me if they make the playoffs obviously because why wouldn't they it's these Mike Tomlin coach teams I mean it's just it's what they do they make the playoffs when they have no business making them but in terms of being a Super Bowl contender that they're, they're the furthest thing from it and Cleveland the same thing whether even if Deshaun Watson plays I mean they traded away Donovan Peoples Jones at the trading deadline which I thought was an eyebrow raising move on Cleveland's part. Uh, and Deshaun Watson doesn't feel like he's the same player that he was back in his Houston days, and just and their running game uh, is nowhere near as dominant and as scary and intimidating now, sans uh, uh, Nick Chubb, than it would be if Chubb was on the field running for you know 185 yards a game. But um, so Cle- so Cleveland can make the playoffs. I don't think they're gonna going to be playing on championship uh, Sunday if they do. And the three teams in the NFC, Vikings, Saints, and Seahawks. Seahawks are the second best team in the West. It's not even up for debate. But, you know, from what I've seen with Geno Smith, again, holding on to the football too long, uh, they're not running the ball efficiently and as effectively as they should. Ill-advised and piss-poor throwing mistakes well, uh, with Geno inside the pocket, I don't like the Seahawks to uh, to win the Super Bowl, let alone make it, let alone play on Championship Sunday. I a lot of things like with uh, like with um, uh, like with you know like a similar thing with the Vikings. Oh, the Vikings is way more far fetched than Seattle, but for for Seattle to have a realistic yet unlikely chance of making a Super Bowl. Again, a lot of things have to go right. They'd have to have they would have to avoid playing San Francisco and be put in a situation where, you know, the you know, where, where they're facing the the Lions again in a playoff game, either in the second round or in championship Sunday go toe-to-toe with a team that, that's closer to their level in Detroit and then take their chances from there. But they'd have to avoid playing San Francisco, and uh, they'd have to avoid playing San Francisco, hope the Eagles get knocked out, and face up against the Lions either in the second round or in or, or on championship Sunday. The Vikings and the Saints, I told you about the Vikings, 
how it's going to be a hell of a story if they end up do making it to Dr. King weekend. But the chance of them winning the Super Bowl, they weren't high to begin the season with a healthy Kirk Cousins and a pre-hamstring injury, uh, Justin Jefferson to begin with anyway. Their chances did not go up after, and even though I understand that Jefferson is practicing again, but now that Kirk Cousins is going for the season, it's not going to happen. And the Saints with Dennis Allen, horrible coach, uh, what's his face? Derek Carr is not a winner. They're, they're not making the Super Bowl. They're going to win the South basically by default, but they're not winning the Super Bowl under any, any, any circumstances. So and the team and the Jacksonville Jaguars again, they would be the team that I would that I could see proving me wrong and making me eat crow. And you wake up Super Bowl Sunday and they're in it. But I just I I like the other three teams in the AFC more than I do Jacksonville. Jacksonville I'd give them if I were to be like my own odds maker, I'd give them like the fourth best odds out of the AFC to win the whole thing. I, I like them more than you know the Browns. Pittsburgh, um, you know, and as of right now, the Bills to make it to make it the Super Bowl, but but at the end of the day, is that really saying much? I don't think so. But um, but I the Jacksonville, I can they're gonna make the playoffs. Obviously, running away and hiding with the division, but in terms of making the Super Bowl, as of right now, I'm a little hesitant. Little hesitant. I would love for them to prove me wrong, but a, but a little hesitant as of this moment in time. The teams, the teams that are going to make the playoffs possibly, and the and I say possibly because I got Buffalo in here, and Buffalo is no uh, guarantee to make the playoffs the way they've been playing currently right now, sitting at five and four. But but they but if they ever got hot and ever got things right between now and the end of the season, they're going to introduce themselves right back into the Super Bowl conversation. And I, since I brought them up, I might as well start with them. I might as well start with them first. Um, Buffalo has got to. They're very vanilla on offense. It's the Josh Allen show or nothing at all. Which is which has got to change. It, which it's just uh, Josh Allen playing Superman is not a recipe for you to win football games on a consistent basis and for you to win Super Bowls. Don't believe me? Ask Ron Rivera and Cam Newton and the 2015 Carolina Panthers. It's just it, it is not a sustainable, concrete uh, avenue for you to win football games. It's just it's just not. Um, and then of course the Cowboys and the Dolphins. They're both. They're both one in the. They're both one in the same in the regard that they got to. That they got to prove to themselves and prove to the football world that they can beat elite competition on the road. Something that both teams, time and time again, have failed at doing. The Cowboys with forty nine with the forty niners and Philadelphia, and then with. Uh, with the Dolphins last week's game against Kansas City on the road against Buffalo and on the road against Philadelphia those that they can make it to the Super Bowl but a lot of things would a have to go their way and they would have to basically revamp their football team in terms of their play against high level uh, opponents where they have to make a step up in class in order to beat them in order for them to uh, punch their ticket to Vegas instead of having to buy one uh, what what else? Yeah, it's just the three. So the three playoff teams that need to 
that need to have a second half for the ages to make the Super Bowl and win it, Cowboys, Bills, and Dolphins. The six teams that can make the playoffs but won't win a Super Bowl, Browns, Steelers, Jaguars, Vikings, Saints, Seahawks. And the six teams that can make the Super Bowl and win it, Eagles, 49ers, Lions, Chiefs, Ravens, and Bengals. And my final point is this at the season's halfway point. The NFL season, this might go down as one of the worst NFL seasons of all time. And I, and I am not and I'm not joking or exercising in hyperbole when I say this. I mean, and I could be here and recall chapter and verse of the horrendous borderline and even not even borderline unwatchable football games you know, with the Thursday night game be- between the Panthers and the Bears being the latest example, we'd be here all night recalling chapter and verse of the unwatchable, straight-up unwatchable football games that us diehard football fans have been subjected to from September 10th onward. And that, the boring games, tons of blowouts, too many mediocre bad teams, a la the Browns, the Steelers, the Vikings, the Saints, uh, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the Texans, the Titans, the Commanders, the bad teams in the, in, in the Giants, the Panthers, the, the Chicago Bears, the, the, the Arizona Cardinals, throw the Rams in for another mediocre team. Too many mediocre and bad teams. League's top-heavy. Like I said, you got six, if you want to include Jacksonville, seven elite teams. And if you want to throw the, if you want to throw the Dolphins and Cowboys in, that's nine. You got nine teams, and even then you can even decipher the, the hierarchy between the nine teams. You got nine teams that are very that are fr- that range from very good to great nine teams out of 32 which means if you do the math that leaves only 23 of your teams either being the bo- being either at the bottom of the barrel average at best or below average That's 28% of your league. That's from very good to great. Nine teams, 28% of the league. The other 32 teams. Twenty-eight percent. Too many bad teams. Too many bad and mediocre teams. And all and quarterbacks, obviously, huge part. No Kirk Cousins for the rest of the season. We've seen it. We saw Aaron Rodgers for 75 seconds, and that was it with him. It's the first season with no Brady. Also factors into it as well. The teams that historically have been big-time football teams in the last, you know, 20 years plus, a la the New England Patriots, are not good anymore. Sloppy offensive play, large part, especially in the front half of the season because nobody plays in preseason anymore. 
and we could be here literally for weeks dissecting the piss-poor officiating that leaves on a consistent week-in, week-out basis a horrendous taste in your mouth if you're an NFL fan. We could be all night talking about the rough and the passion penalties, the ill-timed ticky-tack illegal contact pass interference defensive holding penalties. You can recite even in the Bengal-Bill game last week where they threw a late intentional grounding penalty on Josh Allen, which was an absolutely horrendous, horrendous call that had no business being made before the half that took the Bills out of field goal range. Be here all night. Bad officiating, sloppy offensive play, Boring games, ton of blowouts, a lot of mediocre and or be, uh, a lot of boring mediocre teams, a la Pittsburgh, a la Cleveland, a la, uh, you know, uh, the, the Buccaneers, the Packers, the Rams. Too many mediocre and bad teams, boring games, sloppy offensive play, shit ton of blowouts, bad officiating. It's going to go down. Unwatchable primetime games. It's, it has the potential to go down as one of the worst NFL seasons of all time if we don't have a second half of the season for the ages. If we do, remains to be seen. But in terms of the rankings of where you can rank the 2023 NFL season, in terms of the best NFL seasons of all time, you can rank it, you know, in the in the lower third because it has not been a great football season on any account. It, it has not been over. Even if you're even if you if your favorite team's playing well, if you're an Eagle fan, a Lion fan, Chief fan, Raven fan, your fandom of your team aside, strictly as a Consumer of professional football. This has not been one of the more exciting NFL seasons in recent memory. I mean, if you want to go ahead and look at, you know, the great games that we've had thus far this season. I mean, you had, I mean, the great game that you had last week was, um, the great game that you had last week was, uh, I mean, two. If you want to, you got you had Texans and Buccaneers, Cowboys and Eagles last week. Week eight, did you have any great games? The answer is no, you did not. Did you have any great games in week seven? Looking, you had Bills Patriots. That's one. And you had Bills Patriots, and. Vikings and 49ers wasn't terrible. One terrible. Steelers Rams was competitive but marred by ref ball. Colts and Browns was a great game but marred by bad officiating. Week six, Seahawks and Bengals was an okay game. Competitive, okay game. 49ers Browns, sloppy game, bad weather, alright. What else? Uh Jets and Eagles. Decent game. Boring at times in the second half, but a decent game. Not a great game. Week five, you look. Uh Jaguars Bills wasn't great. Wasn't a great football game. Um 
Steelers, Ravens was sloppy and with bad offense. Competitive game, but not a but not a dip and tuck great game. Chiefs and Vikings was a good game, but marred by bad officiating. Week four, um Broncos, Bears was a good game. Rams and Colts, good game in overtime. Eagles, Commanders was a good game. Chiefs, Jets, good game, but marred by bad officiating and sloppy, piss-poor offensive play. Week three, sloppy play in the rain with moments of bad officiating. Colts, Ravens, week three. Saints, Packers, close game, not great. Chargers, Vikings, good game. But you didn't have, you haven't had the two Monday night games weren't great. Week two, Ravens and Bengals was all right. Um, Seahawks Lions was a great game, went into overtime, thirty-seven, thirty-one. But you haven't had, you haven't had a lot of, you know, week one you didn't have any great games in week one. But. I mean, Dolphins, well, I take that back. Dolphins-Chargers was a great game. But outside of Dolphins-Chargers and a few here and there, you you have not had a surplus of great games throughout the first half of the season. You just haven't. So, and, 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 and the thing that makes it worse is that the great games that you do have, you got to, you know, pray that they don't get marred or that the final score and the or and or the outcome of the game doesn't get tarnished by by a bad call and just bad and bad officiating throughout the uh throughout the sixty minute tenure of the game. Which is another thing. Colts and Browns was a hell of a football game, but the experience of the game gets compromised because the Colts got robbed because the game was officiated horribly. So, but yeah, we'll see if it if it gives us a better second half. But I don't know. We shall see. It all it it, it remains to be seen how the second half of the season, uh, how the second half of the season plays itself out. Got some good prime time games, um, in the back. If you got a, some good prime time games in the back half of the season. I told you about the games in Week 11, which are the two great games on Thursday and Monday night, but the other games on Sunday are not very good. I mean, 425 game, Jets, Bills, Seahawks, Rams on CBS, uh-uh. The Sunday night game, Vikings, Broncos, uh-uh. Uh, week 12, Thanksgiving, the night game is good, but the but the two games in the afternoon are not great. They got good teams, the Cowboys and the Lions, but their opponents are mediocre, average at best football teams in the Commies and the Packers. The Fr- the Black Friday game is not a great game. Dolphins and Jets, I mean, we've seen enough of Zach Wilson and the Jets offense to last a lifetime. The game's on Sunday. Steelers-Bengals rivalry game, we'll see. Um, Chiefs-Raiders, the Raiders always get killed by Kansas City. You got Bills and Eagles, 425, but the way the Bills have been playing right now. That game could be over by halftime. They get ran out of the building by Philadelphia. You just never know. And the Sunday night game isn't terrible. Thanksgiving weekend, Ravens and Chargers. But the Monday night game, unwatchable, Bears and Vikings. Week 13, good Thursday night game, Seahawks-Cowboys. Um, 
Let's see. Fort, and then you got 49ers-Eagles, December 3rd rematch. Uh, Mahomes makes his first trip to Lambeau, but it's Jordan Love. And the Monday night game is good. Bengals and Bengals and Jaguars. It hurts, though, because during that bye week, you get the Ravens on their bye week, which hurts. Which hurts. Week 14, Thursday night game, Patriots-Steelers pass. The pa- wow, the Steelers get two Thursday night games. My goodness. Um... Not a good football game. Rams and Ravens, uh uh-uh. Colts and Bengals, uh uh-uh. Lions, Bears, no. Jaguars and Browns has an opportunity to be interesting, but it's too soon to tell. Uh, 49ers-Seahawks the second time could be a good game if the 49ers continue to falter and if the Seahawks can ever get through this uh, rough stretch that's coming up, uh, you know, with their face. Uh, still held high. That could be an intriguing game. Bills Chiefs has the potential to be to be very good, but Broncos Chargers no, and Eagles Cowboys on Sunday night. Excellent football game. The two Monday night games, Packers and Giants kill me, and Titans and Dolphins no, thank you. Fifteen the Thursday night game, Chargers Raiders no, Vikings Bengals uh uh-uh. uh. Uh, let's see. Jets, Dolphins for a second time. I'll pass. Cardinals, 49ers, no. Texans, Titans, no. Commanders, Rams, no. Cowboys, Bills, the Bills are still in playoff contention and haven't fallen flat on their face. That's a good game. As well as Seahawks and Eagles. And what helps that game is because is that is that game is in Seattle, not in Philadelphia, which bodes to Seattle's advantage. And a Sunday night game is good. Ravens, Jaguars. The Monday night game is going to be a bloodbath, Kansas City and the Patriots. Week 16, the Thursday night game is terrible. Saints-Rams don't bother. The two games on Saturday, Bengals-Steelers rivalry game, Bills-Chargers isn't terrible. Those two teams will be fighting for the sixth and or the seventh seed if they can ever get out of their own way. Um, Let's see. Cowboys-Dolphins at 425, good football game. The game on on Christmas Eve on the NFL Network, Broncos, Patriots, garbage. The Christmas games are trash up until uh, Ravens and 49ers on Monday Night Football. Chiefs, Raiders, don't waste my time. Giants, Eagles, I mean, good Lord. I mean, that that, that that's cruelty to, to subject Giants fans to such, such trash on Jesus' birthday. I mean, have you no shame? The last Thursday night game, Jets, Browns, eh. Cowboys-Lions, the Saturday game on ESPN and ABC because New Year's Eve falls on a Monday this year, and ESPN and ABC will have all the college football, so they have their quote-unquote Monday night football game of the week on Week 17 that Saturday night. Uh, Lions-Cowboys, good, good potentially be a great football game. You obviously have Bengals-Chiefs that day, Dolphins-Ravens that day. Um, as well, you have anything else in the Sunday night game, though? New Year's Eve is trash. Packers and Vikings ringing in the new year with uh, Collinsworth, you know, telling us about, you know, Jordan Love's going to be the next Aaron Rodgers. I mean, give me a break. So, I mean, here you have some great games on the schedule, some games that can be great if teams have a good second half. But I don't know. We'll see. We are all taking, we, we, let, we just take it week by week in stride. There's about, what, 21, 22 weeks in the season. So if you count the Super Bowl, we're not halfway through the we're not halfway through the football season yet. But the regular season, we are indeed at that halfway point. Now, 
that we've gotten my NFL State of the Union address out of the way, where I tried my best to give you four. One, two, three, four. Uno, do, three. I know you want me. You know I want you. I know you want me. You know I want you. What a song. Shout out to Pitbull. Four games on the Week 10 slate to break down and then give you the Week 10 picks, and we will be out of here. First off, the Browns and the Ravens. Marquee game for both teams. Ravens trying to uh, keep pace with Kansas City and keep the and keep the distance between them and Cincinnati with this game coming up uh, between these two squads uh, at the time from this game. It would be, f- what, one, two, three, four days uh, from Sunday uh, after, uh, or excuse me, from uh, Sunday the 12th. Less than a week at the time of the uh, at the time of this episode, they're trying to keep off the Bengals for first place and trying to hold on to first place in the AFC North. Nobody has ever won f- uh, three consecutive division titles before. The Ravens are trying to prevent that from happening while also trying to keep pace with Kansas City for first place in the uh, for first place in the AFC, the number one seed in the AFC. Meanwhile, the Cleveland Browns are trying to. Uh, keep themselves in the playoff race and keep themselves ahead of of the aforementioned Cincinnati Bengals for uh, second place in the uh, for second and third place in the AFC North. Cleveland hit the key to this game, and I think it's going to be a low scoring game. You're talking about two. You're talking about the two best, uh, one of the two best defenses in not just the division, not just the AFC, but in the National Football League. So I suggest, for those of you that love the bet, I suggest that you do yourself a favor and bet the under of this game. I mean, I would, I it would surprise me to no end if this game somehow got to be a 35-30 shootout. I mean, the, the combined amount of points when these two teams played back in October on October the first. Uh, when the Ravens were in Cleveland, the combined uh, point total in that game was was what? Uh, 30, th- 29, 30, th- was 31 points. The Ravens went in that game 28-3. So if I was a betting man, I would bet the under for this game. I expect a defensive slugfest on top of the fact that uh, on top of the fact that if you consider just that uh, if you paid attention, uh, Miles Garrett was asked by uh, Kay Adams on the, on the Up and Adams show on FanDuel TV and basically said, among other things, that he likes Joe Burrow as, you know, in terms of being a better quarterback, uh, and he would take him over uh, and more times than he would Lamar Jackson. So we'll see if that struck a nerve and uh, and will struck a nerve with the Ravens and if it provides them a little bit of a extra element of uh, motivation heading into this game on uh, on Sunday afternoon at M&T Bank Stadium. Two defenses that can stop the run, get after the quarterback as well as anybody in the NFL. Two elite defensive coordinators, Jim Schwartz on the Cleveland side, Mike McDonald on the side for the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens, though, are the better team, obviously. Better record. They've beaten Cleveland earlier this season. Better offense. They have a better running game. Cleveland's running game has not been what it what it was up to up to their standards uh, ever since 
Uh, Nick Chubb was lost for the season. Better quarterback play uh, between the platooning of P.J. Walker and uh, P.J. Walker and Deshaun Watson compared to Lamar Jackson, who's having an MVP caliber season. Not front runner, but he's having an MVP uh, caliber type season for the Ravens, despite the fact that he leads the universe in fumbles. So, and Harbaugh, better coach than Kevin Stefanski. And I think the Ravens going up against two AFC North opponents back-to-back uh, back, uh, back, to back and with this being, uh, with this being, I think they, do they have five home games? Is this, because I know that this game is being played in Baltimore. They do not, I thought they had a three-game home stand and actually might be four if because because the game obviously against Cleveland is a home game and the game in Cincinnati obviously is a home game for Baltimore do they have four consecutive home games one two or three no yeah they had three because the Cardinal game was in between the lines and the same. yeah so I was right they have three consecutive home games the Seahawks and then with two games against the north of the, from of the AFC North teams from Ohio and Cleveland and Cincinnati back to back in uh, in uh, in a four day period, but it's going to be a good football game, man. Uh, I, do I anticipate the Ravens blowing out Cleveland unless their defense just completely has a ha, just has a letdown day? Uh, I don't anticipate a blowout. I don't anticipate the Ravens scoring 30 points. I anticipate the Ravens winning, of course, but I don't anticipate another 32, 34-point 30, blowout from uh, from the Baltimore Ravens. But uh, And if that happens, it would be because the Cleveland Browns are turning over the football left and right. They're giving the Ravens a short field, and the Browns' defense gets essentially taken out of the game. Miles Garrett gets taken out of the game because they're able to run the football consistently. The Browns aren't be, aren't aren't able to stop it. The Ravens beat the, you know, they kill the Browns in a time of possession category and in the defense is on the field. But for so many times before they get tired, they miss tackles, they miss assignments. Uh, and the Ravens, you know, win the game, you know, 28, nothing or 31, nothing similar to what they did. Uh, similar to what they did back on October the 1st. But I think it's going to be a highly competitive uh, nip-and-tuck football game between these two squads. The AFC North games are always tight, always close, always competitive, more times than, they are, than, more times than they're not. Um, I'd be shocked if the Ravens find themselves in a situation where they kind of play down to their competition and allow the Browns to win this game, sort of overlooking uh, the Browns to, you know, with the... Uh, with the with the Bengal game looming, you know, four days down the road, where essentially they won't even practice. It's almost like you know they're they're uh, you know they're playing basketball or baseball where you don't have where you don't practice in between games. It's just you have a game and then you recover. You do the practice reps and the and the and the preparation reps mentally in terms of studying tape, watching film, looking over notes and tendencies and this, that, and the third. But in terms of actual physical activity on the field, you barely, you barely touch the practice field with a Thursday night game because uh, you got to recover and then prepare yourselves uh, for the game coming up that Thursday night. But should be an intriguing football game between the Ravens and the Browns. 
game number one. Game number two, Texans-Bengals. Uh, I'd be shocked, and Zach Taylor made it a point of emphasis at his press conference on Wednesday that his team is not overlooking the Houston Texans uh, at all under any circumstances, that they're taking it one day at a time. They know that the Ravens game, as big of a game that it is, is, is looming and it's down the road, but they got to take care of business against uh, the Houston first. They want to, uh, you know, go back-to-back home games with a duck, go back-to-back home games with a W. They'd rather go into Baltimore on the short week uh, with a six and three record rather than at five and four, where even where at the point where maybe the Raven loss doesn't mean anything in terms of winning the division because they had already have uh, four losses at that point. We're still with still uh, with Kansas City. Uh, forthcoming have yet to play Pittsburgh and and all the other teams that's that's on the back half of this season schedule and the Ravens with two losses uh with their toughest game remaining after they're done with Cincinnati for the regular season is San Francisco and that's not until week 16 17 among uh along the Christmas no week 16 uh, on on the, during the Christmas holiday and the Ravens may have the division wrapped up at that point. Who knows? But the Bengals got to do a do make sure that they cross their eyes, or excuse me, they cross their T's and dot their eyes. Um, it's going to be a little bit of a struggle because Sam Hubbard did not practice on Thursday, uh, not in a boot, in good spirits, but did not practice on Thursday. Jamar Chase was limited in practice today, or excuse me, I should say on Thursday, and uh, did and did not practice on uh, did not practice on Wednesday. Uh, T. Higgins, who injured himself in practice this week, looks like he's not going to be a go for the game on Sunday, which stings. So you're going. So it looks like that you might not, that you won't have uh, T. Higgins and uh, possibly Sam Hubbard. You know, two crucial blows for Cincinnati uh, on the defensive and offensive side of the football, which they need. And now, listen, is it a it may is it a load management thing where it's like? Why push the issue against the Houston Texans? Have them rest up, take as much time as uh, off as possible, stay off the feet. Uh, Hubbard has an ankle injury. Higgins has a hamstring. Take some time off, then come back, reassess things, see where they are, and hope and pray that they can give it a go for the Thursday night game against uh, against the Ravens. And if not, they essentially have a mini bye week up until uh, up until their game. I believe their game following. The Raven game is November. It's November nineteenth, and that is against the. Uh, no, I'm sorry. It's November twenty sixth, the Thursday after Thanksgiving, and it's again, and it's a home game against Pittsburgh. So we shall see. But it looks like that they're going to have to go most likely, at least as of the moment, at the time of this recording. Uh, no Sam Hubbard and no T Higgins, Jamar Chase. Uh, wants to play. He knows, especially with no Higgins, that he basically has to be there to, to be there for his guy JB and to be out there on the field at the very least as a decoy. So teams don't say, okay, let's uh, button up and uh and lock down Tyler Boyd and ha- and make Joe Burrow beat us with you know Charlie Jones, Trenton Ir- Trenton Irwin or Irvin I should say and uh, Andre Yoshivas. The uh, the undrafted uh, wide receiver out of Princeton. So we shall see with that. But a tough blow. Cincinnati is going to have to go about things against C.J. Stratt, who had the tremendous game, which we talked about earlier in the week, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home. Uh, if you want to know Lou Anarumo's tendencies against rookie quarterbacks, 
Uh, the most recent one, Anthony Brown in week 18 of this calendar year of last season. He held Anthony Brown on a complete percentage of 43% through for 286. Uh, two interceptions, no touchdown passes. Kenny Pickett in his first start against Cincinnati. Complete percentage of 59% through for 265. One touchdown pass, no interceptions. Uh, the quarterback that's had the that had the best uh, that had the best game against them, and since Lou Anarumo has taken charge of the Bengals D as a defensive coordinator as a rookie, Trevor Lawrence on that Thursday night on the thirtieth of of uh, uh, September in twenty twenty one week four, he completed seventy percent of his passes through two oh four, no passing touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, in terms of best completes percentage, best passing yards was. To a tag of Aloha in December of 2020, week 13, he completed 66% of his passes, uh, one touchdown pass, 296 passing yards, averaging 7.6 yards per pass attempt. Uh, Garner Minshew had a complete percentage of 40, uh, 46, 47% through for 255, one touchdown pass, no interceptions. Uh, Kyler Murray in the same month of October 19, again, the Bengals lost by field goal, 26-23. He completed 62% of his passes through for 253, average eight yards per pass play, no touchdowns, no interceptions. So he has not fully, Lou Anaroma has not fully embarrassed. Defense uh, has not a fully embarrassed rookie starting quarterbacks, but they have, but, um, but they have not uh, had great games against them. He hasn't embarrassed them, but he's made sure that they haven't had tremendous football games. So, so I mean, take it for what you will. C.J. Stroud coming off of this, his tremendous uh, performance where he threw, where I, and I can go back and read you the stats one more time as if you wish. C.J. Stroud obviously coming off of the tremendous game last week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in which he threw 400, in which he threw uh, 450 passing yards, seven passing touchdowns and no interceptions and Arumo's defense surely has their hands full coming up on Sunday after coming up on a Sunday afternoon but uh we shall see and then of course on the Houston Texans side it's an opportunity uh, you know if they thought that Stroud and the Texans got a lot of praise last week go out there on the road and beat a red hot Bengals team and they would not and they'd receive they'd return they'd a would be a five. Uh, they'd be above five hundred uh, this season, and Stroud specifically threw for four seventy. They not only would they would return to above five hundred, but they also be like, hey, and they would open up the conversations of, hey, Houston Texans to make the playoffs. You just never, you just never know, and not and not to mention C.J. Stroud would all but possibly lock up. The opportunity to uh, the opportunity for him to uh, for him to uh, win offensive rookie of the year for uh, or excuse excuse me offensive rookie of the year of the NFL season here in 2023. But Lou Anarumo and his defense without Sam Hubbard it looks like is going to have the hands full. Remains to be seen how the game plays itself out. Uh, hopefully the Bengals on the P's and Q's. Everybody else stays upright, especially now we can ill afford the deeper and deeper we get into the season. With the Raven game coming up, we can ill afford 
uh, some uh, we can ill afford major injuries to our star players on the offensive and defensive side of the football. Game number three, 49ers and, and uh, Jaguars. 49ers coming off of a bye week. They've had two weeks to think about and to uh, improve upon uh, their uh, their first home loss in a calendar year at the hands of my aforementioned Cincinnati Bengals. Meanwhile, the Jaguars winners are four in a row, first place in the AFC South. This is going to be the, uh, and I said earlier in the show, this is going to be the Jaguars' biggest test for them thus far this season. This is the real measuring stick to see how good this football team really is against a team that's reeling, that's lost three games in a row, um, which is which has been uncharacteristic of this 49er team in recent years. This is an opportunity to see. Now they have the advance because it's a West Coast team traveling east uh, into in the confines of Florida, and it's a home game for uh, and it's a home game for uh, for Jacksonville in this game. But this is an opportunity for them to prove to themselves in the football world, hey, whether it's Jacksonville Jaguars, we're here to stay, and we deserve to be on Jai's list in terms of the elite Super Bowl contenders that can not only make the Super Bowl but win it at the end of the day. We deserve to be in that conversation and them taking care of business against the San Francisco 49ers and handing them their fourth consecutive loss would certainly be a, a quick recipe on how to on how to do that. Brock Purdy, the key for him in this game has got to be able to take care of the football. He's turned over the football uh, his turnover rate in terms, especially with throwing interceptions, has slowly risen throughout this three-game skid that uh, that the team has been on. You cannot give the you cannot give a uh, the Jackson the Jacksonville Jaguars the short field under any circumstances and put yourself behind the eight ball early, especially on the road. Got to be able to run the football. Uh, control the tempo of the game, establish the tempo of the game, and make the Jaguars play on your terms instead of you having to be forced to play on the terms of on on the on their own specific terms. And in terms of the Jacksonville Jaguars, I already previously stated what this game means for them specifically, but this is uh, an opportunity for their offense. To, uh, to to really have a breakout game. You saw that Joe Burrow moved the football effectively, damn near had a complete percentage of 90%, throwing the football over 30 times, which was damn impressive for him. Uh, be intrigued to see how they use Travis Etienne in the passing game, spreading him out wide and shotgun utilizing him. Uh, in you know, in terms of uh, wheel routes and in the screen with uh, screen patterns and things of that nature, uh, with uh, and in, and Trevor Lawrence, you know, sit chilling in that pocket. How's he going to do? He's still got that uh, knee that uh, that he's been nursing the last uh, month or thereabouts. How he's going to handle that with the San Francisco 49ers pass rush with Bosa, Armstead, and the crew uh, is also an intriguing factor heading into this game. As well, and finally, you have the Lions, and the you have finally you have the Lions and the Jaguars. Lions uh, trying to continue on the winning train against the Chargers, who have gone up in back-to-back games against feeble opponents. The Bears, two the Bears two weeks ago, and then this week earlier this work week on Monday Night Football against the hapless. Uh, pathetic, anemic New York Jets and their and their turnover and their turnover-prone offense. 
if this is the Chargers, this is a test for them too. They've won back-to-back games. No one has, no one thinks they have a shot in hell to make the playoffs this season, and, and for them to go on a run to make the playoffs as a wild card team, they have an opportunity to prove all of us wrong. Herbert's got to play well. He did not play well under any circumstances against the Jets defense last week. Uh, need gonna he's gonna have to have a damn good football game to give them a brilliant chance for them to win this game coming up on Sunday afternoon. Uh, the Lions got to be able to run the football uh, against the Brandon Staley coach defense, which should not be which should not be too much to ask for this football team. And the Chargers got to be got to show that they can go toe to toe with one of the best teams, and it's easy to go up against. The Jets, who have a horrendous offense, and the Chicago Bears, who have set football back a century in terms of how piss poor that football team has been in recent memory. Now it's not a it's a home game. Now the Detroit Lions are not a national football team, so if the place gets taken over by Lions fans, I mean that'd just be a new low for Spanos and the L.A. Charger organization. But they got home field advantage. And so far, you know, in Inglewood, winners of back-to-back games want to make a run and say, hey, we still can be that team uh, that nobody wants to play in the playoffs in spite of Brandon Staley. Take care of business against, uh, against right now, the second-best team in the NFC, and that being the Detroit Lions. So you got four games on the NFL slate. To keep an to keep an eye on uh, here for you this keep to keep an eye on here this weekend, um. So you have that, and you also have a uh, intriguing and compelling slate of college football games coming up this weekend. Uh, you have Michigan and Ohio State. It looks like that with no ruling as of now from the Big Ten on Harbaugh, he'll be clear to coach that game coming up on uh, coming up on Saturday. Afternoon. You also have um, you also have excuse me. You also have uh, Tennessee and Missouri at three thirty on CBS. Battle of the two seven and two squads. You have eight and one Ole Miss going up against Georgia, who's nine and zero, who should be ranked number one in the country. That is the game of the week on at seven o'clock on ESPN. Uh, what else do you have? What else do you have? Oregon and USC is at 1030 on Fox. Good luck staying up at 2 o'clock in the morning there. Not a great week of college football, but not an awful week. So you all have those. So you also have those marquee games to keep an eye on. To keep an eye on as well. Well, it's about that time. Week 10 National Football League. We embark on the second half of the 20. 20- 23 NFL season. Week 10 picks in the league where they play. For pay. Game number one. Between the Indianapolis Colts and the New England Patriots over in Frankfurt, Germany last week. Colts got the job done beating and taking care of business in Charlotte, North Carolina against the Carolina Panthers 27-13 last week. Meanwhile, the New England Patriots suffered yet another home loss, losing to the Washington Commanders 20-17. 
The Indianapolis Colts are favored two and, by two and a half points in this game. Give me the Indianapolis Colts to win this game and improve to five and five on the season by the final score of 27 to 13. Game number two, the Green Bay Packers head to Heinz Field, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. They take on the Pittsburgh Steelers last week. Pittsburgh got the job done on Thursday Night Football in the second of the month, beating the Titans in Will Levis's uh, starting debut by the final score of 20-16. to 16. Meanwhile, Green Bay got the job done against Brett Rippon. Who, what? Yeah, Brett Rippon and the L.A. Rams 20-3 last Sunday. The Steelers are favored by three and a half points. Give me the Pittsburgh Steelers to win this game by the final score of 20 to 16. The Tennessee Titans head uh, down south, the aforementioned, to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who lost in heartbreaking fashion to C.J. Stroud and the Houston Texans by 2, 39-37 last week. Meanwhile, the Tennessee Titans, having lost last Thursday night, or a couple of Thursday nights ago, I should say, uh, like I previously stated to the Pittsburgh Steelers, Will Levis was named earlier this week as the Tennessee Titans starting quarterback from here on out. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are favored by a point. Both teams sitting at 3-5 and five in their respective divisions in the South. Give me the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to win this game by a final score of 21-20. The Cleveland Browns head to the 4-1-0 to take on the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens, 7-2 on a winning streak like no other. They have not lost a game. Get this, the Ravens have not lost a game since October the 1st against, well, I've scratched that. They have not lost a game since October the 8th against the Pittsburgh Steelers way back in week five. They've won every game since then. Ravens are six-and-a-half-point favorites uh, going up against the Cleveland Browns, who took care of business against the anemic uh, Arizona Cardinals last week. The injury report, uh, Ninjoku, David Bell, Marquise Goodwin, Pierre Strong Jr., Greg Newsom listed as questionable. Rashad Bateman, Keon, Keonton Mitchell, who had the great game, who nearly ran for who nearly ran for 180 yards last week against uh, the Seattle Seahawks. He's listed on the injury report as questionable along with Marlon Humphrey. Give me the Ravens to win this game in a defensive slugfest by the final score of 17-10. The San Francisco 49ers are 5-3 and, and head to Duval. To take on the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are currently at 6-2, riding a four-game winning streak of their own. San Francisco licking their wounds and have had two weeks to think about their last loss back in week number eight against my Cincinnati Bengals at home. They hit the road to take on a Jacksonville Jaguars team looking to improve the 7-2 on the year and improve on their first place lead in the NFC South. San Francisco's favored by a field goal. Give me the San Francisco 49ers to bounce back and win this game by the final score of 26-23. The Minnesota Vikings play host to the New Orleans Saints. Both teams are 5-4. The Saints last week uh, got the job done beating the Bears by a touchdown in the Superdome last week, 24-17. Meanwhile, the Minnesota Vikings 
won and beat the Atlanta Falcons courtesy of the late game heroics and the clutch and the uh, courageous effort made by newly uh, named starting quarterback uh, Josh Dobbs of the Arizona Cardinals beating and taking care of business on the road 31-28 over the Atlanta Falcons in the ATL. New Orleans is favored by a field goal. Give me the Vikings to win this game and win their fifth game in a row. Vikings win. Final score, 27-24. Cincinnati Bengals play host to the Houston Texans. Texans are 4-4, four four, having won that thrilling game against the Bucks, like I've stated all show long, and I recapped on Tuesday. Check that out if you haven't already. Meanwhile, Cincinnati 5-3, trying to get the job done with the Ravens game uh, looming. It's a one-game season. You got just got to keep stacking the wins, just keep winning, like I said, throughout the duration of last season around this time. T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, Sam Hubbard listed as questionable. Does not look like that Sam Hubbard and T. Higgins will play in this game. Jamar Chase, we shall see. Meanwhile, the Houston Texans, Robert Woods, Will Anderson Jr., Andrew Beck are listed as questionable. And Kaimi Fairbairn, their place kicker, listed as doubtful, which is a huge huge factor in the game because the Titan or excuse me the Texans is going to have to go about this game the way that they did last week where unless they absolutely have to where Figgle you know ties the game or they need an extra point you know in the worst way the way that the, the, in which the game plays itself out they're going to have to go kicker by committee or bypass kicking Figgles altogether and either punt you know once you know in between their own 40 to 35 yard line or go for it on every single fourth down that gets presented to him, which bodes in favor of the Cincinnati Bengals defense. Luana Rumo has his hands full. We shall see. Tough, tough game to call in my opinion, even though Cincinnati is six and a half point favorites. Lines, by the way, subject to change. Give me the Houston Texans to win this game in thrilling fashion. 27 20 over the Cincinnati Bengals. As we head to the 4 o'clock games, the Atlanta Falcons are 4-5 and five and head to the Southwest to take on the 1-8 Atlanta, or excuse me, the 1-8 Arizona Cardinals. Losers last time out at, on the road against the Cleveland Browns Atlanta. Losers last time out at the hands of Josh Dobbs and the Minnesota Vikings. The Atlanta Falcons are two-point favorites. Give me the Falcons to win this game by the final score of 16-14. The Detroit Lions head west to take on the L.A. Chargers at SoFi Stadium in Inglewood. Chargers winners of back-to-back games back to the 500 mark this season. At 4-4, four four, Detroit Lions trying to uh, improve on their victory. Uh, they had a bye week, I believe, last week. I'm looking at my list. Yes, they did have a bye week last week. Week 8, they took care of business on Monday Night Football, beating the Raiders 26-14 on October 30th as they look to improve the 7-2 on the season and further increase their lead atop the NFC North. The Lions are three-point favorites, giving the Detroit Lions to win this game by the final score of 35-21. The New York football giants are headed to Jerry's Wood in Arlington, Texas for an ass-kicking. They're 17-point underdogs. No Daniel Jones for the remainder of the season. K-9 
Cowboys coming off of their heartbreaking victory on the road to their shared division rival Philadelphia Eagles, or excuse me, in the Philadelphia Eagles, meanwhile the Giants coming off of their embarrassing loss at the hands of their former uh, Super Bowl champion uh, defensive starter and Antonio Pierce by the final score in case you needed a reminder, 30-6. to Give me the Dallas Cowboys who are 17-point favorites in this game to win this game by the final score of 53-2. Nothing. 53 to nothing, your final score. Write it down. Washington Commanders head to the Pacific Northwest uh, where they've wrecked havoc on the Seattle Seahawks in recent memory. Who, of course, who can forget the game uh, a handful of years back when Blair Walsh missed a crap ton of field goals way back once upon a time. The Seahawks are six and a half point favorites. They uh, failed and got their asses kicked thoroughly at the hands of the Baltimore Ravens at the bank last week, losing by 34 points. 37 to three was the final score last week here in the 4-1-0. Meanwhile, for the Washington Commanders, they were fortunate and very fortunate to beat the New England Patriots by a field goal up in Foxborough last week. Seahawks are six and a half point favorites. Uh, losers of two out of their last uh, losers of two out of their last three games. Give me the Seahawks to win this game and bounce back and prove the six and three on the season to keep put the pressure on for the San Francisco 49ers who they play later this month. Give me the Seahawks to win this game by the final score of 27 to 20. The Vegas Raiders play host to the New York Jets. Jets are favored by point. They subjected America to garbage uh, on Monday Night Football earlier this week. Meanwhile, the Vegas Raiders riding high and are somehow only a game below 500, having beaten and mopped the floor with the aforementioned New York Football Giants. Jets are favored by point. Give me the Vegas Raiders to win this game by the final score of 21 to 13. And finally, on Monday Night Football, you have the Denver Broncos, who are 3-5, and five, coming off of their bye week. Last time out in week number eight, they got the job done and ended that, uh, that five-year-long losing streak against Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, proving the 3-5 and five on the season. Meanwhile, the Buffalo Bills licking their wounds, having lost to my Cincinnati Bengals last week in the jungle on Sunday football. Three consecutive primetime games for the Buffalo Bills. Thursday night game against Tampa, Sunday night against Cincinnati, Monday night against the Denver Broncos. They're favored by a touchdown, five and four. They need this game in the worst way to keep their playoff hopes and division championship hopes alive. Give me the Buffalo Bills to win this game by the final score of 28 to 17. And those are your week 10 picks against the spread. And that is another episode of the Amatella Cotelia's podcast in the books. If you're new to the program, like you heard, please not hesitate to subscribe. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram and the works at the J Shield. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends and family. Leave a review if you shall. Talk to you guys on Tuesday to recap it all for you on a new week of episodes of this beloved podcast. Be safe. Be well. Y'all stay safe. God bless y'all. See ya. Oh, 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 oh.